Hey friends, thanks for joining me, Jim Baroud, to hear a few insights from leaders who represent our innovation ecosystem. Today's chat is with Seth Berger, the Managing Director of the Sixers Innovation Lab, and formerly the founder and CEO of And One, a hugely successful basketball, sneaker, apparel, and entertainment company. And Dana Kim, the founder and CEO of Highlight, an agile in-home product testing platform. So I, I grew up, Jim, in New York City, and I, I find that to be relevant because I think growing up in New York City gave me a couple of things that were important to any success I've had. One is a certain level of intensity that you have growing up in New York um, is just a requirement for everyday living. You know, whether I was selling soda in Yankee Stadium and taking the six back and forth, uh, playing basketball in Central Park, it didn't matter. You kind of had to be, in my opinion, ready at all times. Um, and the second thing that growing up in New York City gave me was an openness to lots of very different types of people. And in, in New York is really a microcosm of the world. So for me, um, part of being a VC is being open to talent in all different shapes, sizes, and colors. Um, and also being trying to be at my best every day. And I think growing up in New York kind of helped me with both of those things. Um, I went to University of Pennsylvania undergrad, uh, the college had it, got an econ degree spent a lot of time in college playing sports and having fun. Wasn't the best student, wasn't the most committed student, um, but I, I learned, I would say some stuff uh, at Penn that was really important. Interestingly, when I got out of college, I worked on Capitol Hill. I was uh, at 21, I was legislative director for Harold Ford Sr. He was a Congressman from Memphis, Tennessee. And at that point, my plan was actually to try to make a career in public service uh, and eventually try to run for mayor of New York. I felt like, uh, I really wanted to make a difference in people's lives and wanted to make a difference back at home. I learned pretty quickly in politics that I did not want to spend a career in politics, uh, that I, I'm I'm actually an introvert and I'm incredibly selfish with my time. So I just didn't feel I would want to spend time doing the things you had to do to be successful in terms of being a politician, one of which is raising money, shaking lots of hands. Uh, and I just couldn't see myself doing that. So I went back to the Wharton School of Business. I was young when I went back, I was 23. And I think I was probably the third or fourth youngest kid in, in the class. I really still thought I was gonna go into public policy and management. And then I did a pretty simple equation, which was my student loan portfolio uh, that I was gonna graduate with and the $12,000 average salary in public policy management just weren't gonna work <laughs> in the short term or long term. Uh, and so in a day, I decided that God had destined me to be an investment banker. And so I was gonna pursue investment banking on Wall Street. The problem is Dana will tell you is the people at Warden are really super smart. Uh, so my grades at Warden reflected the fact that I am not really super smart. So I didn't have really had an opportunity to be an investment banker. Uh, and, and while I was at school, I did a research project with a guy named Miles Bass, also from New Jersey, since passed, uh, in an in, in introduction to entrepreneurship class. The research project was uh, for something called The Hoop, which was a basketball retail store. I played high school ball, played a year of JV ball in college, probably spent four hours a day playing basketball in undergrad and grad school. And um, the hypothesis for the business was that there were millions of consumers in the US like me who loved basketball and spent lots of money in and around the game. Long story short, uh, I graduated on May 17, 1993, incorporated and won basically that day. And, and left uh, when I graduated uh, to go start my own business. After about six weeks, we realized that the idea 
that I had graduated school with, which would turn morphed into a basketball database business was not gonna work. And uh, eight weeks later, I was selling t-shirts um, at retail stores back up on 125th Street in New York. And so the, the long story short is that and one started as a research project in school. We quickly iterated and realized we were gonna fail and stay broke. And uh, we had, when we did the business plan for and one, my two partners were two of my closest friends, one my best friend growing up, one a kid that I hooped with at school, uh, both smarter than me, one the kid from Warden had a 3.96 GPA undergrad, my best friend from home had gone to Stanford and had been a consultant at McKinsey, so two rock stars. Uh, so therefore they made us do a real business plan. The business plan said that in five years, we'd be doing 70 million bucks in business. I'm sorry, 7 million bucks in business. And it turned out five years later, we were actually doing 70 million bucks in business. So the business was way more successful than any of us had ever imagined. Um, we sold a piece of it in 99, sold the rest of it in 2005. And it was an amazing 12 years. I loved working with the people uh, and loved the highs and even learning from some of the lows of Van One. At that point, I basically semi-retired to raise my kids. My boys were six, three, and one. And I started coaching high school basketball at the Westtown School, which I still do today. Uh, for about 10 years, I was like an angel, strategic investor, part-time CEO, but nothing that took too much of my time away from my kids, which was my number one priority at that point. And then in 2016, Scott O'Neill, uh, who was then the CEO of Harris Pitcher Sports Entertainment, also one of my closest friends, called me and said he was starting an innovation lab. Now, as Dan has heard me say, this truth be told, I read the Wall Street Journal the first day when I was at the Wharton School, and that's the last day I ever read it. I didn't understand anything in the paper, and there wasn't much that interested me. So I didn't even know what an innovation lab was. I didn't know what an accelerator was. Uh, and, and Scott said, look, this is what we're thinking, but I'm going to give you a blank piece of paper, and you should figure out how you think the innovation of the Sixers Innovation Lab can be unique in the space. So with my partner, Ryan Schrute, and I, basically for the last six years, we've been trying to uh, identify and invest in, in talented entrepreneurs, mostly in the B2C space, sometimes the B2B2C space, uh, witness highlight, um, and, and focus. And, and the way we feel we're different is we, we try to make fewer investment in any one period, any year, so we can spend more time with our entrepreneurs. Uh, so finding someone like Dana at the Warren School, we actually, I feel like we probably had five or six meetings before we ended up uh, investing in Dana and just getting to know her and learn about her um, and help her try to be the best CEO she can be is probably, you know, that's that's the most rewarding part about running Innovation Lab. So I think what was not apparent to me as a CEO in terms of wrapping up my career is I love coaching people. And if you're a CEO, you have to be a really good coach. You have to be basically the head coach of your team, uh, helping your teammates be the best they can be. And that's in a lot of ways similar to what a venture capitalist does and similar to what a coach for a basketball team does. So when I look back, hopefully years from now, but who knows, right? I'll look back and be like, I coached a lot of people to be their best. And, and that would be the sum of my career. That's great. All right, Dana, talk to us about your career. Awesome. Um, tough story to follow. Oh my gosh. I, um, I'll follow the similar um, trajectory of, of undergrad to, to current startup. Um, I went to school. I also went to undergrad here in New York. Um, I interned and worked at in every career, at every possible job, trying to figure out what I want to do when I grow up. Um, it ended up just crossing a lot of things off of my list. 
Um, and when I graduated, I fell into um, the world of market research. I was sur surfing, um, you know, our job board. I saw this really cool um, job posting for help build strategies and understand consumers for some of the world's greatest consumer brands, um, Nike, Coca-Cola, Uber, Facebook. Um, and so I, I applied um, to, a, it was a market research agency. I was there for about five years and um, in that time happened to, to get further um, experience and expertise specifically as it relates to physical product testing and, and helping physical consumer companies um, really refine their, their, their product offerings. Um, so I spent a ton of hours, days, months, weeks um, in, in field, as we called it. Um, and that meant out in focus group facilities, out in grocery stores, out in malls, um, handing out the newest product, whether it's the newest Dr. Pepper Snapple Group beverage or the newest, you know, Starbucks Tivana ready to drink, um, literally handing them out to consumers, um, asking people what they, they thought. At first it was clipboards and it was iPads. Um, and realized that there were a ton of amazing, innovative things happening in our industry. Um, getting, you know, survey feedback uh, back was easier. Reaching consumers was easier. There was a lot of technology that was helping us get our job done. Um, but the hardest part of our days was hands down getting physical product in hands um, and feedback back. Um, so I was pretty intentional. I, I always knew I wanted to go to um, go back to school for a master's. Um, I didn't know exactly for what. Um, and after a few years in this space, I got a little more focused. And um, I actually wrote my admissions essays around, I've been in this space, I see this problem, I wanna build a physical product testing solution, um, but I don't know how. Um, I had a liberal arts degree and a lot of industry experience, but um, no idea how to build a software product or, or a business nonetheless. So um, wrote my admissions essays, there's the paper trail is there um, to business school around, you know, wanting to do this, wanting to build this, um, and uh, went to Wh the Wharton School for my MBA, just like Seth. Um, while um, there, I actually, I, I went to a whole bunch of entrepreneurship classes, was in all the clubs, you know, heavily involved in the entrepreneurship ecosystem, um, met a few key people in my life. One is Ethan, my co-founder, who's amazing, who was there for his master's of integrated product design. Um, and so he's the, the tech brain of the organization. Um, also met Seth while there, um, also heavily involved in the entrepreneurship ecosystem, people had said. Um, this really cool VC came to speak in my, my marketing class, my this class, and I had heard of Seth um, a, a few times over before we finally met. Um, but while there, I experimented with a ton of different ideas around how can I, um, you know, execute on this idea for better physical product testing um, before finally landing on the idea for Highlight, which is, um, you know, an end-to-end -end, uh, platform and turnkey solution for in-home product testing. We work with brands like Nestle and P&G and um, Pepsi to get product in hand for data back um, in a really easy to use uh, technology. That's that that's music to my ears, Dana, because I used to run an entrepreneurship center. So that's sort of the perfect cycle of, yeah. of education, networking and mentorship. And then um, obviously launching a business, which we get into uh, a little more. But uh, Seth, I want to circle back to you about the uh, innovation lab. Talk to us more about you know, you mentioned it got started, you know, 2016. How has that sort of um, transformed or changed over the years? Uh, when we started it, the thought was, 
Harris Blitzer Sports Entertainment, Josh Harris and David Blitzer and their teams have a ton of resources, knowledge, um, and ways to help businesses grow. Uh, and that is all true. And they didn't, you know, they, they acquired big businesses, but hadn't necessarily had an impact in the small business community. So uh, I know that when they were talking with Scott, before they, Scott had approached me, the idea was, look, look we can have an impact here um, and have an impact here in Philadelphia and the Philadelphia and South Jersey community. So initially we started with the idea that we were going to actually run a true lab where entrepreneurs were going to work out of our corporate facility. We were going to provide housing, food, and a bunch of other services um, and invest little money, um, but provide more services. And what, what we quickly realized is if we were not serious about investing capital, we were going to be getting B and C level deals and not get into A deals that A entrepreneurs need capital and need to support them with that. So we, I'd say within a year, decided, okay, it's time to actually real, invest real capital. Um, we did that initially through some special purpose vehicles. Then we ended up raising a first fund and now a second fund. The second uh, thing that we changed was we did not require companies to come to work out of Camden. And in fact, Ryan and I, before COVID, would be on planes, trains, and automobiles going to where entrepreneurs were and, and now we've invested in 20 companies all around the USA because we didn't want to limit ourselves in any way. And, and, and so like if Dana felt that having Highlight was better to be in New York City, we should invest in Dana wherever she thinks it's best. Uh, one of our earliest investments and greatest successes is a company named Udachichi, which we uh, was exited and sold to a public company last November. They made a decision about two and a half years into the business to rel relocate to Austin they thought it'd be easier to find engineers for their business. So we've, we've morphed into more of a traditional VC as opposed to a lab. But again, what where we're different is, one is we, we want to invest in fewer businesses. And two, I can email Josh or David or anyone on our team across Harrisburg Storage Sports and Entertainment and say, one, do you know about this company? Do you know about this space? How can I get educated? And second is how can we help them be more successful? Uh, and obviously with partners like that, you're pretty much unlimited in terms of how you can help entrepreneurs. That's great. And one I ask you about, um, obviously you're, you've, you've widened the plane, but NFTs and sports are, you know, all the, the rage these days. So can you talk about that, how you view them um, in, your, in your sort of prism uh, going forward? Yeah, I'm long. So we've actually, it's funny that you asked that. We've just uh, invested in a company named Verified Inc. The website, I think, is verifiedinc.us. And it's an, it's an NIL, which is name, image, and likeness, NFT company. Um, these guys uh, are rock star smart, and they've created this product that enables high school and college kids to, in a really creative way, monetize their likeness in a super fast, easy, creative way through NFTs. Uh, we also invested in a company named Artie, which is a massive success. It's a gaming company. Um, Artie is, uh, they're, they're building out, a, a, it's a game development company that enables players to play a video game within the platform as opposed to having to exit and go to Apple to download. For example, if you're on Twitter, you see a game, you want to play it, you can stay within Twitter and play. 
Well, they decided to launch some NFTs around their game. And I, I think it was early April when they launched and they sold 4,500 NFTs in 11 minutes. Um, and, and, you know, like most markets, it's gone up and down and now back up. Um, and, and I think tied a little bit to the, it's amazing it's gone back up because the price of ETH has gone down. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I'm long. I, th I think like a lot of things, uh, if I'm 54, I can't necessarily understand why an 18 to 30 year old younger person would care so much about having a digital piece of art, right? As opposed to a physical piece of art. But the reality is it doesn't matter if I understand it. If it's valuable to the next generation, then it is valuable to the next generation. I shouldn't be judging it. I should support it and give it its best opportunities to succeed. To succeed. So, um, I, I saw a headline the other day that Mr. Gates had killed NFTs and um, crypto. And I, I will admit I'm, I'm avoiding it. I've avoided crypto on the way up, down, up. That's that's a, a boat that I'm never going to be uh, sailing on. Um, but NFTs, I'm absolutely with. Got it. Now, what, what else about the sports tech sector should we know? I mean, obviously, you, you know it well. Um, it's uh, it's gotten a lot of play, you know, not only because of NFTs, but just in general. Uh, so talk to us about how that's changed, particularly over the pandemic, right? Obviously, there's been more focus on it because we were all stuck at home. Right. Well, what's interesting, when we started, the idea was we were going to focus mostly in the sports sector. And, and we decided to expand outside just the sports sector for a couple of reasons. One is it's really hard to build a sports tech business if you're going to focus only on professional teams and probably even professional and college teams. The, the, the total addressable market and the number of end users and customers is just too small. Um, so therefore, if you're gonna get, build a sports tech business, it really has to be a broad consumer application and one that can get really wide or it's just not gonna succeed. The other thing that's interesting that I found that, you know, I've worked in sports basically since 93, right? And the, what, what I think entrepreneurs have to understand when they get into the sports space is um, the thing that athletes are, are paid for is their time. And entrepreneurs come in, they're like, oh, well, we can do business with this athlete, this athlete, this athlete, and they can, you know, they're all gonna wanna be part of this. Well, actually, you know, athletes are paid for a very short period of time to be the best athletes they can be so they can help their teams win game and maximize their salaries. Um, and so it's not necessarily easy to get athletes time, nor should it be. Uh, so if you're going to do business in sports, either with teams or with athletes, you have to provide real value to the other side. Um, and then I think the third thing is, uh, and 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 uh, um, it's great when you exit. It's hard when you invest. People tend to overvalue sports tech businesses in the early phases just because they're in sports. Um, like I said, you know, I'm a, I'm a city kid, and I started out selling T-shirts. For and I knew how many you know we were making three seventy five and every t shirt three dollars and seventy five cents and every t shirt we sold, um, and the idea that we were going to lose money on every t shirt and make it up in volume never appealed to me. So I'm I'm really about building profitable businesses. So in the sports tech space, because it's such a sexy space, a lot of entrepreneurs think, hey, we can lose money for a while, and and that model is going to work because we're in sports. And I think it's actually as we're seeing now. The market is saying not just in sports tech, but in tech period. Actually, you got to get profitable pretty quickly. Your businesses are going to die. 
Got it. Um, Dana, let me let me shift over to you for a second. When we talk about NFTs or, or blockchain or crypto, do you how do you see it as a young entrepreneur, um, you know, in obviously the product testing space? But I'm just curious to get your perspective on it in general and how how it might affect your business. Yeah, uh, it's interesting, especially in in this market, when we look around and part of building a big business is having awareness and cognizance of what's happening in the world around you, even if, if it might not seem relevant to your business at first. So we're always keeping an eye on, especially when it comes to, um, you know, funding rounds and valuations and how do we, you know, build more value and create more value within our business, looking at what's around us and what's driving value out in the market. Um, so, so yes, we've definitely been keeping an eye on what's going on out there. We also make sure that we don't have shiny ball syndrome and aren't chasing, you know, um, new things left and right, just because, um, there is, you know, value or hype or buzz out in the world. Um, so we've, we've seen, um, the metaverse, you know, inject itself into our industry very adjacently, um, not, not head on and not as it relates to our core products. So, um, we have some ideas for, you know, push, push comes to shove. And we really feel like our clients and our customers, our consumers are moving in that direction. And it would actually build real value for um, our product, which is, you know, data collection and um, reaching the right consumers and, and um, helping brands build better products. Then we would pursue it if it really felt like it would, would bring value to our customers. Um, right now it would be a bit of forcing it. So, um, we don't, we don't pursue it. We keep an eye on it. Um, and we'll, we'll continue to do so until, um, really, um, our customers, uh, tell us differently. Got it. And, you know, before we talk about the investing sort of, uh, you know, uh, environment, I want to ask you first, uh, Dana, talk a bit more about your company, how it's scaled, uh, and what, you know, uh, for a layman's terms, how it works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so highlight, um, it's, it's an interesting story um, in that we've had about, we've now had two lives. Um, in a pre-COVID world, we were showcase um, and we were vending machines. So I, I was attempting to replicate myself in, in uh, back when I was in the grocery store, handing out Dr. Pepper, asking people, what do you think? Uh, we would send fleets of researchers out into field to get this sort of, to distribute product and get feedback in this way. Um, so solution number one was automate myself and automate researchers and launch vending machines that weren't for the purpose of retail and selling product, but actually distributing product in exchange for feedback and data collection vending machines. Um, launched uh, vending machine number one, and it was live um, actually on Wharton's campus um, in January of 2020. So we were live for about six weeks before COVID hit and no one would go near a public space <laughs> for quite some time. So um, for better or for worse, and we always say for better, um, we're no longer in the business of hardware. Um, we, put, we pivoted away from vending machines and we, um, we, we stayed true to the problem, again, as, as physical product testing being really, really hard, but really ideated against what are the different ways of um, of getting product out and feedback back. So we now operate in a model where we ship products to consumers, to their homes. Um, the, the deal on the consumer side or what we call our highlighter community side is um, apply to be a highlighter and you get first look at cool new products delivered to your door for free in exchange for feedback. Um, that data goes 
straight to the brands um, in a seamless platform. They've, um, and brands now have a really seamless, user-friendly, targeted way of getting product in hands and data back. Um, all what was formerly emails and spreadsheets and manual researchers going out into field is now um, a few clicks on our platform. Um, and then a live dashboard of what people are thinking of your newest Oreo or, um, you know, whatever it might be, diapers, um, thinking of some of the, the current tests going on. Um, so our, our business has gone through a few different iterations, um, and we definitely had that moment when COVID hit of, of do or die, pivot or, or um, you know, shut down entirely. Um, and, and fortunately, we came... Um, we, we learned a lot and did a lot of diligence around this new business model of, of shipping boxes and going in home. Um, we launched in our new um, model as, as Highlight um, in January of last year. So we're just about a year and a half old. Um, we had a really incredible first year. Um, we had fortunately a little bit of funding from, from Seth and Sixers Innovation and a few other investors who had given us um, pre-seed dollars to help us prove out our, our, our business. Um, and year one was all about will buy this thing? Is there interest out in market? Can we prove that this is a real need um, and a big market? Um, and, you know, after launching in January, 10 months later, we had uh, P&G and Nestle and Pepsi and Mondelez and some of our dream brands as customers testing on our platform. Um, so with that, we, we raised another round at the end of last year um, to really help us scale our business. So we're now uh, 33 people. We're shipping, you know, thousands of boxes a month. Um, and we're really making a dent in, um, in our mission, which is helping, you know, all brands build better products. Oh, that's really, that's really great to hear. Um, Seth, talk to us about, it. you were obviously funded, um, Dana, but the environment has changed. So um, talk to us about how you see the investing and funding environment, particularly over the past couple months and going forward. Yeah, I think it's a, a necessary market correction. I, 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 I'm old enough to have lived through the internet um, days when the market was up and down and back up. And I think all that was back then is the same thing now. It's the rationalizations for companies that are gonna be successful, gonna be profitable and gonna be big brands. Um, and so as an investor, I try not to get too focused on the here and now, especially being a VC, you know, like, the public markets have an impact on the prices at which we invest in private companies. Um, and at the same time, just because the public markets are going a little bit nuts doesn't mean I want to stop investing in private companies. Uh, and so I think what it does mean is for any company that's in the process of growing, you probably should be raising more money now than they thought. And they are probably going to raise money at a little bit lower price than they thought. And, you know, as you and I talked about before we got on the Zoom, I'm a big fan of the word enough. You know, I have enough money as opposed to I need more. And so it probably means entrepreneurs in five years when they exit, they're going to probably have a little bit less because, again, they probably had to raise a little bit more and a little bit less. But if they succeed, what will happen is it'll be good for the companies that are great because the market's going to say, hey, these are the companies in which we want to continue investing. And the ones that are succeeding, they're going to die a natural death, death as they should. Got it. And, and Dana, how do you see what's going on in the marketplace? I bet you're you're glad you raised uh, last <laughs> year, but but talk to us about how that changes uh, how you operate and how you see things. 
Yeah. You know, um, it is always, it is important again, to have a, have a feel for macroeconomic conditions and the environment in which you're operating. Um, at the end of the day, we, a, make sure we're not incinerating cash and that we're, we're, we're able to, to transform cash into revenue efficiently. Um, B, we're keeping, you know, a Hawkeye laser focus on the spend of every single dollar and making sure it is not, you know, frivolous or extraneous. Um, I would say that um, the way that Ethan and I operate, that's not really a departure from how we were operating in, you know, from the start. So um, it's not a massive change in, oh my gosh, we need to be, um, you know, drastically change our, our day-to-day, our ways of working. Um, but there are um, now a bit more, there's a bit more attention paid to things like burn and burn multiples and um, cash efficiency and cash spend and making sure that entrepreneurs and, and you know, startups are, are held responsible and accountable for um, spending smart. Um, so we, and and with that, and with the downturn or the, the thought of a downturn um, and what folks are, you know, calling startup winter, there's a lot more literature out there and a lot more stuff in the media around how to um, operate smartly and efficiently in this environment. Um, and along with that comes more formulas for make sure that your X is at something percent or that, you know, your blank ratio is at Y. And so we're, we're being a bit more formulaic about making sure that we're in line with those benchmarks and market standards and what folks are saying are, is going to matter. Um, but I would say for us, we're, um, we are kind of, we're operating, um, uh, not assuming that cash is going to come easily in the next two years and not spending frivolously. Right. Well, when, when do you expect to, or maybe you're at break even now, uh, become, you know, self-sustaining and profitable? Yeah, I mean, there's we there's always a plan to profitability, um, but we are a venture backed and growth focused business. So um, we're not um, our our goals currently are not um, to to get profitable or to slow down growth in the name of profitability. They are to continue to stay on the offense. Unfortunately, we have um, you know the the traction and the capital to do so. Um, so so yeah, so growth is and and top line growth is um, is king right now. Got it. And what, can I jump in on that? You know, and I think there's like, there are two, two different things going on here. One is a business that is, has a path to profitability and is pursuing growth. And there is a number at which they turn profitable and turn really, really profitable. And that's Dana's business. Then there are other businesses that are unprofitable that are basically losing money on every donut and have no plan, plan to profitability. And the idea is, hey, we're just going to grow and eventually someone's going to buy us. The latter, those are the ones that this market is saying should not be existing, right? Um, and so with Dana, um, you know, when we talked, I think really since she's, since we first talked um, about investing in her business, the idea is to build a really big company here, not to build a nice small company. And that requires being focused on growth. But at the end of the day, the model has a path to profitability as opposed to, hey, that's not something we're focused on. Um, the other thing that Dana said is really important is she doesn't waste money. Um, and you know, entrepreneurs can't, there are two things you can't waste. You can't waste time and you can't waste money as an entrepreneur, as in a startup. You know, if you're a big company, you can kind of waste some money and you can kind of waste some time. But if you're a startup or a small company that's growing fast and you waste either time or money, you're going to die. 
And one thing that Dan and, and Ethan are really good about is not wasting time or money. Um, and so, you know, being being hawkish about about wasting either of those is really important. Got it. And and Dan, let me just circle back to you. For folks, can anyone become a uh, a tester, uh, or is it? Do you have to? No, reach- I can. I can address that. There's at least <laughs> one person who Highlight will not approve as a tester. His name is Seth Berger, and I'm definitely related to him. Everyone, I'll go ahead, Dan. Now you can address that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um so important very important to our um our platform is our community that is the, the data providers and generating amazing feedback for our brands uh, um in order to join the community you must apply which i'm not i'm not sure seth actually has we always get into this um you know but me well, too well you know me too well <laughs> But there is, it's a very short application and the application at the end of the day is just, um, it's, it's making sure that you'll give the time and effort to, to give quality feedback. So we ask creative questions. There are no right or wrong answers, but they're questions like, what are two things you would do with a fork that don't involve eating and <laughs> require you to take a few minutes to actually think through, okay, what, what would I do? And we get some creative responses, um, but that's our way of filtering and making sure that uh, when our consumers get products that they're actually going to be able to tell us what they like about it, what they don't, et cetera. So um, anyone can apply. Um, and if you give, give some thoughtful answers to our articulation screeners, then you can absolutely get in the community and start testing products. Is it the, is the goal to grow that community, that sample size, or are you at a place where you have enough folks, generally speaking, to get good data? Yeah. So, um, it's the answer is both. Um, we, we have a very strong community and our community size right now can handle the, the amount of, of, um, brand demand that's coming through the door. Um, it is a, a, you know, somewhat of a two-sided marketplace. So we need to make sure that we're balancing demand and supply and, um, that we always have enough folks on platform to receive the products to be tested. Um, at the same time, because our brand side is growing, our consumer side is grow needs to grow as well. Um, so we are constantly growing and, um, we have a community team that's tasked with ensuring that everyone has an amazing highlighter experience and that um, community continues to grow. Got it. Let's talk about the community, right? I think, Seth, you're obviously in Philly. And Dana, are you in New York or are you in Philly as well? New York now. Okay. So I'm just curious from your, both of your perspectives how the community is uh, rebounding from the pandemic. So why don't we start with you, Seth? How do you see Philly uh, doing? Yeah, I think great. Uh, obviously, COVID was awful, and and I, I probably shouldn't say COVID was because COVID is still here. Um, but I think for the most part, we returned to normal life. Um, and uh, you know, like I, I had COVID six weeks ago, and I've already had my fourth shot. And because I had my fourth shot, I sneezed twice, and that was COVID for me. Uh, my wife had three shots, and she was kind of under the weather for two or three days. Um, so I, I think for the most part, we've returned to quote unquote normal life. At the same time, I think COVID sped up so many changes in our society that were going to happen. Um, and it happened so quickly. Like for example, I work from home now, right? And so when you think about all the different things that have changed now, because I work from home in the broader economy, Instead of that happening in the year 2050, it just so happened somewhere between 2020 and 2022. Um, and I think we've gotten there, whether it's getting, you know, scanning your, your, your menu. Now when you get to a restaurant, 
um, or not needing nearly as much gas because I don't drive as much, I, you know, so things like that. So I think, um, and, and, and it's, when you're asking about that, it's weird. So my father passed in June, two years ago. Um, and when I went, when I went back, um, when he was in the hospital for a while, for about 10 days before he passed, when I went back to the city, it, it was a bit of an emergency situation. I was staying in a hotel on 52nd and 3rd. I, it was the first time in my life I could park anywhere on the street. And within, by, by the time he had passed, within 10 days, I really couldn't park. I needed to park in a garage again. And it was like New York basically came back from COVID. It felt like within 10 days. And it wasn't that quick functionally, but I feel like we're pretty much back to not what life was like before COVID, but what life will now be like after COVID. Got it. Dana, how do you see the city? Yeah, I, I think similar to Seth, I think um, definitely saw saw mass exodus um, in, in early COVID days where folks were seeking um, like bigger spaces and um, nothing, you know, nothing was, was open in New York. So um, folks really left and there was a moment where New York was Times Square, you could walk through and there was no one there and it was eerie and it felt like a ghost town. Um, but it's since it's since returned, I think, especially as we saw last summer and, and even the summer before in the summer months, outdoor dining and um, folks really enjoying um, the outside and, and taking advantage of the outdoor seating that the city's allowed. And um, it feels pretty, um, it feels very open. It feels very um, back to normal. Uh, mask mandates are, are done. So folks are, um, I would say the subway is probably like 50-50 masks, no masks. Um, so definitely in a transition period, but the energy is, is I would say, 95% back. And specifically, the, the startup community, the tech community, how do you see it in the city? And seven, your answer for Philly as well. Yeah, I definitely the, you know, entrepreneur founder dinners and networking events and investor founder events and that stuff is is back um, in full. And um, you can even see, I think we're in a period of ramping where there's more and more stuff on the, the founder calendar, the entrepreneur calendar. Um, I think within within New York, there is still not an expectation of in-person um for for pitching or for networking, I think that the expectation of getting on a flight for meetings um, has heavily decreased. And um, who knows, you know, if we're we're raising again in a year, what that'll look like. But um, within New York, definitely more and more events coming up. But across our you know national relationships, no pressure to meet in person. Got it. And Seth. Yeah, I completely agree with Dana. Uh, you know, that's one of the in my opinion, of positive benefits of COVID is we can have, especially with people that we've already met, you can have meaningful conversations over a computer now uh, and save time and money that you had to waste before traveling. What I find interesting is uh, I have a hard time establishing an initial relationship with people over Zoom. Um, I'm really much a, like, I'm not that smart about a lot of things, but I think I'm good at reading people and I make reads relatively quickly and usually in person. So I will make efforts to, to the, before we invest in entrepreneurs to actually sit with them in person and try to get a better feel for who they might be. And so I'm glad that that opportunity is coming back. Got it. This has been a great conversation. I wanna thank both of you for, for doing it. It's really been informative. Uh, before we go, I wanna ask a couple of questions. One is you both 
launched your businesses during or right out of school. Share with us one tip for those students who are uh, launching businesses right out of school. Seth? Uh, for me, it's pretty simple. Do what you love and you will never work a day in your life. When I was in grad school, I was thinking about all these careers and, and all I thought about was how much money I was going to make in those careers. And I realized I didn't really value money nearly as much as I valued my time. And, I, and, and having gone to, to business school gave me an opportunity to choose something that I love as opposed to choosing something that I was just doing for, for the ends uh, of, of making money. And so if you're in grad school, if, if you make the commitment to invest that much money in yourself and that much money, that much time uh, of your life, you should be doing it so that you can do something that you love for the next 50 years of your career as opposed to something that you have to do. We, we, you know, if you've gone to a business school, you have an incredible opportunity to shape the rest of your life and it should be doing something that you love. Got it. Dana? Uh, yeah, I think um, fully agree with, with what Seth said. Um, the other is to be an entrepreneur, you, uh, you really need to be pretty good at everything. Um, and when you're in a, a business school setting, um, you are surrounded by people who are very good at everything. Um, so tap those people while they're in front of you, leverage your friends, your classmates, um, and make the most of the people that you're surrounded by. Great, great tips. All right, we're gonna end. We usually uh, have folks say a poem or sing or a quote. So ladies first, Dana, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you first to go. <laughs> uh, there's, there's, I've, I've, um, said favorite quote so many times um, in the past and every time I, I waffle. Um, I, I'll go with um, Howard Schultz, um, CEO of Starbucks, former CEO of Starbucks. Um, he has said that success is meaningless or empty if you arrive at the finish line alone. So surround yourself by winners and keep them. Um, and I, I'm pretty big on, on surrounding yourself with the best people, so. Great, nice. All right, Seth? Mine is actually slightly different than what I thought it was going to be based on this conversation. Um, it's, it's an, it is amazing what you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. That's great. Great. Both of those compliment each other very nicely. Uh, well, guys, I want to thank you once again for coming together. This has been a, a great, great conversation. Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please like it, leave a review, and subscribe. See you soon.